Last week, we took a look at some of the possible developments that might occur if Hillary Clinton is elected president. My purpose was to help explain why you might suddenly find yourself on a world bereft of every vestige of life, except an irradiated North Korean dictator doomed to watch the sex scene from the interview on TV until his hideous death brings the story of mankind to an end. It's kind of hard to explain. Today, I'd like to take a look at what might be in store for us if Donald Trump should win the presidency, which he won't. But if he does, which will never happen, but just in case, although he's not going to, although he might, but he won't. Well, it's possible. Let me remind you that as a professional political commentator, I am licensed to look into the future. Don't try this on your own, or else you might find out about that thing your husband's going to do with the girl from the sales department about six months from now, April 23rd at 9 p.m. to be exact, at her apartment on Melrose. But back to Donald Trump. First of all, in order for Donald Trump to overcome his disadvantage in the polls, a large number of citizens would have to gather in the village square wearing Tyrolean hats and then charge up the hill to the castle, carrying torches and shouting, give us the monster, finally chasing Hillary Clinton to an abandoned windmill, which they set on fire as Clinton claws the air in mute rage and terror at having found herself misunderstood by a heartless world which she's ripped off for upwards of $200 million. In the aftermath of the Trump victory, many journalists may find themselves experience intense internal pressure, which will violently tear them apart from the neck up so that they spew the black tar of corruption and dishonesty that they keep where their brain should be, splattering the shocked faces of the people surrounding them, who will then, of course, break into delighted laughter and slow clap ironically. In the ensuing absence of mainstream media coverage, Democrats will suddenly be forced to argue for the logic, morality, and efficacy of their policies causing the party to disintegrate when several highly placed officials suddenly realize that they're communists and put themselves under arrest, seizing themselves by the arms and trying to drag themselves to the local jail until they find out that, like communism, that doesn't make any sense either. Finally, when enough journalists have exploded and enough Democrat Party officials are pulling themselves in circles by the arm because they've never learned to stop doing things that don't work, Donald Trump will assume the office of the presidency, taking the familiar oath. I swear big league that I will execute the office of president better than anyone else ever has. You'll be amazed, folks, so help me. And that's as far into the future as I can see. After that, all I can make out is an enormous mushroom-shaped cloud and a fat little Korean man watching a sex scene on TV forever. I'm not sure what that's about. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky doo Ship shaped, dipsy topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! Life is hunky dunky when you think about it. Really, you know, when you consider it, it is hunky dunky. It's the mailbag tomorrow. Yeah, hey, so that, that's something to look for. Make sure you get your, first of all, make sure you subscribe. That's the first thing, because if you don't subscribe, you can't. People, I get these things. I don't want to subscribe, but I have a question to ask. Forget it. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> it, costs, it costs eight bucks a month to be here. Let, let it go. Give it over. And then you get to you send in your questions. We answer all of them with answers that are guaranteed 100% correct. And 98, I think it's 98.7% uh, guaranteed to change your life for the better. So, uh, you know, with what's you've got. 
got nothing to lose. I do want to say, by the way, that some of you pre-ordered my book, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, and you have not yet received your stickers. I was just made aware of this today. I signed a whole bunch of stickers, and then we ran out. So they are on the way. For some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's our zip code. Everything here takes forever, <laughs> so they are coming. Please, and I'm, I really am sorry that it's taken so long. But I will sign them the minute they get here and send them off. So a fan and Twitter follower named Derek Grissard, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, Derek Grissard sent me something today that I just love. I, I, you know, I, I get things from people, and sometimes I use them on the show, and I'm always a little uh, careful about giving credit because they might live in Saudi Arabia or Canada or someplace where you can't say what you want to say, and if they found listening to my show, you know, they'll be carted off and, and put in prison. But I asked Derek's permission, and he gave me permission to give him credit for this because this is a great find. This is a, an episode of The Simpsons, obviously done during the uh, Dole-Clinton election, which predicts this election. Election. Okay, these, these are the candidates having been taken over by aliens. It predicts this election. The politics of failure have failed. We need to make them work again. Tomorrow, when you are sealed in the voting cubicle, vote for me, Senator Ke Bob Dole. I am looking forward to an orderly election tomorrow, which will eliminate the need for a violent bloodbath. America, take a good look at your beloved candidates. They're nothing but hideous space reptiles. Oh. It's true. We are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. He's right. This is a two-party system. Well, I believe I'll vote for a third-party candidate. Go ahead. Throw your vote away! <laughs> that guy punches through his Perot hat. At the, I just love this. There's two enormous aliens with horrible fangs drooling, and they say, but it's a two-party system, and the crowd goes, and oh, they're right, it is a two-party system. <laughs> so that's where we are, folks. That's the election. Thanks to Derek Rosario. That's the election in a nutshell. And so, I'm, so today we're going to talk about the two parties, all right? Brett Stevens, a, a columnist who... In many ways, I admire. I really like when he writes about foreign policy. I find him a bit of a um, bit of a snoot, uh, an establishment snoot. When he writes about the elections, he kind of linked Ted Cruz to Donald Trump throughout the primaries, and now he's stuck with Donald Trump, and he's a never Trumper, and he's all excited about. It. But he wrote a very powerful column, basically about what has happened, what has happened to the Republican Party, and I'm I'm going to read a very severely edited version of it, but it's worth it's worth listening to. I grew up with parents who liked the old line that they didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left them. As the left turned on America, they kept faith in America. Now it's my turn to watch the Republican Party drift away. To see how far it's fallen, let's remind ourselves of where it once was. And then he gives certain um, topics. Immigration. In 1980, Ronald Reagan said, instead of putting up a fence why don't we make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here? For good measure, Reagan suggested we should open the border both ways. Okay, so that's a little different than the Republican Party today. Where I think I think it's a line of snipers. Is that what Bush is? That what Trump is promising? A wall, and then a line of snipers on the wall, and we just kill them before they even think about coming up. On trade, 
Adam Smith wrote in 1776, if a foreign country can supply us with a commodity cheaper than we ourselves can make, better to buy it of them. Two centuries later, Milton Friedman noted that trade protectionism really means exploiting the consumer by artificially limiting choice and raising prices for the benefit of domestic producers. Adam Smith and Milton Friedman were once canonical conservative figures. Free trade was once a Republican conviction. This is as opposed, obviously, to Donald Trump going around saying that trade is killing us folks. Foreign policy. Since Truman, six Republican presidents have never wavered in their view that a robust system of treaty alliances such as NATO are critical for defending the international liberal order or that the U.S. should dissuade faraway allies such as South Korea and Saudi Arabia from seeking nuclear weapons or that states such as Russia should be kept out of regions such as the Middle East. Now, obviously, Donald Trump hates NATO, and he's saying what a great thing WikiLeaks is and so on. And finally, culture, civility, and character. I don't think I have to go into that. We did used to be. I, I do remember how we used to be the party of culture, civility, and character. Kiss those days goodbye, folks. All of this seems to me fair, especially the free trade and, this, and the culture and civility thing. Uh, immigration could be argued that the situation has gotten so far out of control that Reagan is now out of date. Um, but I think on trade and culture and civility, Donald Trump certainly is far away from the principles that I think still work and should be conservative principles. Now, because it's a two-party system, let's look at the Democrats, okay? Because there are some stories today that you will not hear about elsewhere that you may have missed that I think are really important. First of all, obviously, the one you probably have heard of is Project Veritas, more stuff from James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. Now he has this guy, Robert Kramer, who is not just, you know, he's the husband of an Illinois congresswoman, and he's this political operative who, who is basically kicked out of Americans United for Change after all this stuff came out on Project Veritas. This is a guy who has been to the White House, I think it's like over 200 times, and in about 30, between 30 and 40 of those meetings, Mr. Obama himself was present. He was there with this guy. And here he is discussing a dirty trick that they played on the Trump people where they sent out people dressed up as Donald Duck, okay, because Donald Trump wasn't putting out his taxes, so it was the idea was Donald is ducking his taxes. So where did they get the idea from Donald Duck? Here he explains it to a Project Veritas reporter without knowing he's talking to a reporter. Originally, we were going to do a project. We were going to do Uncle Sam. I want you to give us your tax returns. I agree it's not as good. It's been done, yeah. I agree it's not as good. It's much easier to execute. The guy who had done this other Chicken George thing had this other idea. And in the end, it was the candidate, Hillary Clinton, the, new, the, the future president of the United States, who wanted ducks on the ground. So, by God, we will give ducks on the ground. And, oh, uh, so it's. Wow. Don't read that thing. Okay. Uh, and the uh, uh, and it is a clever, it's a better idea. So what this clown is saying is this idea to put Donald Duck at these meetings, you know, pretending to be Donald, sending the message Donald Duck, it, Donald is ducking his tax returns. This came directly from Hillary Clinton to him. There's one person who's extremely angry about this. Who made a statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Donald didn't like that at all. <laughs> and actually, they did have to pull this, you know, because the Disney company said, you know, we have a trademark on the guy. All right. Now, is this is this like the worst thing ever? You know, is this like exposing her emails to, you know, foreign powers and all this? Of course it's not. But I just want you to remind you of how far we've come, all right? Do you remember this guy? Play, play this tape of Donald Segretti. How do you feel about what has happened today? 
Well, obviously, I'm certainly not, uh, don't look upon it with any great delight. Beyond that, I don't think I want to make any, any other comment uh, other than that. Do you regret what you did during the campaign? Well, I certainly regret my involvement, as it may uh, have been uh, improper in certain regards with the campaign. There's no question about that, obviously, and I have for, for a great period, lengthy period of time. You know what this guy did? This guy went to prison for four months. I think he was convicted on several misdemeanors in a plea bargain, was sentenced to six months, served four months. This guy was in the Nixon administration, and during the campaign, he sent letters. Uh, it was Ed Muskie was the candidate, and he sent letters that looked like Muskie had insulted Canada. He called them Canucks. So they were called the Canuck letters. And he would do dirty tricks like this, dirty tricks like sending people out to beat people up, uh, to start uh, tr trouble at Trump rallies, like sending out Donald Duck people and all this stuff. There's a scene in the movie All the President's Men that I wish I could have found, I couldn't find it online, where the reporters, Woodward and Bernstein, go to Segretti, and Segretti is in tears because what he, ca he called this rat effing. Obviously, he didn't use effing, and there are probably some people in this audience who are thinking, effing, what does it mean? Because we're also, because we're pure of heart here, that's why. But, but he called it, they called it rat effing, and it was just plain dirty tricks. It was something they all learned in college and they did together, and they sent him to jail. And there's a scene in the movie All the President's Men where Woodward and Bernstein are talking to Segretti, and he starts to cry, and he says, it was just dirty tricks. It was just a jokes, and they're going to send me to jail. Guess who's not going to jail for dirty, playing dirty tricks for all this Project Veritas stuff? The only person who's likely to go to jail here is O'Keefe, if he doesn't wind up shooting himself four times in the back of the head, you know? I mean, but if not, but it's not. The only person who really could get in trouble for all this stuff is O'Keefe. So when we're talking about how far the Republican Party has strayed from its principles, let's remember how far all of us have strayed from the idea of what we expect from government, let alone, you know, going after and grabbing women or attacking women. These people are messing with our political system. And these dirty tricks, they're probably, it's, it's borderline a question of if, if Hillary Clinton is interacting with, if the Hillary Clinton campaign is interacting with these super PACs, it's questionable whether it's legal or not. But it's certainly something that when Segretti did it, we were all shocked and this was a terrible thing. So let's not forget you know, this is what I keep saying about Donald Trump. We can all see what he is, but we can't see what Hillary is because it's all disguised and they have normalized, the Democrats have normalized corruption, which brings us to Obamacare. Yesterday, well, well let's, let's do this first. Fox uh, Business Report, uh, Stuart Varney, put out a little montage of people talking about Obamacare when they were trying to get it passed. We have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you will be able to keep your health care plan, period. Affordable. Good. Affordable. There's a reason. Affordable. 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 If you like the plan you have, you can keep it. If you like the doctor you have, you can keep your doctor, too. Big effing deal. All right, we'll be back uh, to talk more about this. But if you're on Facebook or YouTube, you've got to come over to The Daily Wire to hear the rest. If you'd already subscribed, not only could you be watching us live on The Daily Wire, but you could be asking your questions now that are guaranteed to change your life. Uh, you know, when you get these answers, they'll just, they just, you know, they just suddenly a, a golden glow will surround you. <laughs> come on over and hear the rest.
Okay, affordable, affordable. I'm not sure how. Did you get that, affordable? Here's the story for today, and this has been confirmed by the White House. Premiums for mid-level Obamacare health plans sold on the federal exchanges will see their biggest jump yet next year, another speed bump in the administration's push for enrollment in the final months of the U.S. president's term. This is from Bloomberg. Monthly premiums for benchmark silver-level plans are going up by an average of 25% in the 38 states using the federalhealthcare.gov website. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said in a report today, last Last year, premiums for the second lowest cost silver plans went up by 7.5% on average across 37 states. Individuals signing up for plans this year are facing not only rising premiums, but also fewer options to choose from after several big insurers pulled out from some of the markets created under the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare. While the ACA has brought uninsured numbers to record lows in the U.S., millions remain uninsured. To attract more people, the government has emphasized that subsidies are available for many people to help cushion the premium increase which just means we're paying for this twice, right? So not only are you getting nailed, but I'm getting nailed for your health insurance. So that's like, so that this is, that's what they're bragging about. They're bragging about the fact that this thing is collapsing, but we're paying for it. But it's okay. The taxpayers are on the hook, you know? Yes, yes, our, our stupid law is collapsing, but the taxpayers are on the hook, so it's okay. Let's let's just see if this was if anybody predicted this in the past. Is it like uh, can we find us like some Swami or seer from the past? Let's see. When you look at Obamacare, the Congressional Budget Office has said it will cost $2,500 a year more than traditional insurance. So it's adding to cost. And as a matter of fact, when the president ran for office, he said that by this year he would have brought down the cost of insurance for each family by $2,500 a family. Instead, it's gone up by that amount. So it's expensive. Expensive things hurt families. So that's one reason I don't want it. Second reason, it cuts $716 billion from Medicare to pay for it. I want to put that money back in Medicare for our seniors. Number three, it puts in place an unelected board that's going to tell people ultimately what kind of treatments they can have. I don't like that idea. Fourth, there was a survey done of small businesses across the country. It said, what's been the effect of Obamacare on your hiring plans? And three quarters of them said it makes us less likely to hire people. I just don't know how the president could have come into office facing 23 million people out of work, rising unemployment, an economic crisis at the, at the kitchen table, and spent his energy and passion for two years fighting for Obamacare instead of fighting for jobs for the American people. Okay. Now, to be fair, he was right about that, but he did put a dog on the roof of his car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, while he was stuffing the women into binders and all this. So, all right, so here's here's what we've got on Obama. Obamacare is collapsing, it's falling apart. And the if even if, if Trump is elected, seems like a long shot, but even if he's elected, it's going to take him a year to come up with anything to replace it. So people are now stuck. They're losing, they're going to lose their health care or they're going to be nailed by these incredible... Um, these incredible costs that come when there's no competition. Here is the Donald talking about it. It's over for Obamacare, and Hillary Clinton wants to double down and make it more expensive, and it's not going to work. I called it when it first came out. It's only getting worse, and not only for you, for the country, because our country can't afford it, you can't afford it. We're going to have great health care at a fraction of the cost, and you watch, it'll happen. On top of that, over two-thirds of the counties are losing insurers, and if you look at it, all over, they're losing the insurers. 
and one in five Americans trapped on Obamacare will only have a single insurer to choose from. And boy, are those insurers going to have a good time with you. It's all, all true, right? Just like what Mitt Romney said, this is all true. Now, I just want to play this one thing from the left, because we're talking about the two parties, right? We're talking about where you got this two-party system with these two aliens running, you know, these two drooling, fanged aliens running, and we have to choose between them. Yeah, this is a, a two-party system. I just want to see, show you what Elizabeth Warren, the doyenne of the left, and, and a woman, at least you have to say, she, she, unlike Hillary Clinton, she actually has the principles of a leftist. She actually is a principled leftist. And, and part Indian, I think, as well. You know, and she, you can, she can throw, you know, she really, she can throw a tomahawk with incredible accuracy. Um, here, here's her speech about why you should vote for Hillary Clinton. And this is, this the crowds love, well, the crowds is like 50 people, but the crowds, the crowds love this. Nasty women have really had it with guys like you. Yeah. Get this, Donald. Nasty women are tough. Nasty women are smart. And nasty women vote. And on November 8th, we nasty women are going to march our nasty feet to cast our nasty votes to get you out of our lives forever. This is why it was a big mistake to give women the vote. You know, women, you know, I have to say, I watched this debate and I thought, I laughed when he said, what a nasty woman, because she is a nasty woman. My wife pegged this right away. My wife said, women are going to go nuts. And the reason women go nuts is because I, I, there are people in this, in this office who disagree with me, but this is, this is, I've now looked this up and it is true. Women are nicer than men. Women are nicer than men. Most of the negative traits that people have that, that, like aggression and hostility and violence, and all that. Most of them are way uh, are represented in men, much much higher. This doesn't mean they're more moral than men, although I think they're also that. But but it doesn't mean that. It means that they're, they're nicer. They're nicer than men. And and as you know, if you're nasty, if you're aggressive, if you push, if you're nasty, you get things. You know, people get things. And so women don't like to be called nice. They they, they you know they feel that when they're told they're being nasty, they're being told not to be like men in ways that men are that benefit men. So men have the power because they're nasty. So when you call them an, a woman nasty, you're depriving her of this power, right? All I can say about this is like, this is a purely emotional appeal. Trump is a, a bore. There's no question about it. He's a bore and a thug, as I have been saying since, this, since the primaries began. He's a bore and a bully and a thug. And women don't respond. I mean, I think he's now, I think women who have not yet been born are going to be voting against him. I think the numbers now show that he's negative. But all I'm saying is an emotional appeal versus the fact that Obamacare is, is tanking. I have to tell one more story from the left, and this is a story I, I'll bet you missed. First, to set this up, in the Wall Street Journal, there is a, a new poll from Gallup uh, that says, Americans' respect for local police jumped to its highest level since 1967, which was the last time that, uh, you know, that crime started to skyrocket because of leftist policies. So a new Gallup poll conducted earlier this month found 76% of Americans said they have a great deal of respect for police in their area, up 12 percentage points from last year. The findings uh, follow high-profile fatal attacks on police. So in other words, all this stuff that Obama's been doing, all the stuff that Black Lives Matter has been doing has increased the respect for police because we see that they're being that they're under attack, that they're under assault. Half the time, these all these high profile 
uh, stories, the Trayvon Martins, the Michael Browns, the Eric Garners, they all turned out that the cops didn't do anything wrong. And yet the riots continue and the yelling continues and all the protests continue. Here's from the New York Times, a former newspaper. The Justice Department, this is, the front, this is on the front page of my at least New York Times app. Uh, which you can find on the, in the App Store under a former newspaper. The Justice Department has replaced the New York team of agents and lawyers investigating the death of Eric Garner, right? This is the guy who was, uh, uh, he was arrested on a Staten Island street corner and two police officers confronted him and accused him of selling untaxed cigarettes and one of them put a chokehold on him and he said, I can't breathe and that became the battle cry of Black Lives Matter. One of, one of the many battle cries of Black Lives Matter. Okay, so the Justice Department has replaced the New York team of agents and lawyers investigating the death of Eric Garner, a highly unusual shakeup that could jumpstart the long-stalled case and put the government back on track to seek criminal charges. Federal authorities have been investigating whether officers violated Mr. Garner's civil rights in his fatal encounter with the police, but the case had been slowed by a dispute because federal prosecutors and Federal Bureau of Investigation officials in New York opposed bringing charges, while prosecutors with the Civil Rights Division at the Justice Department in Washington argued there was clear evidence to do so. Attorney General Loretta Lynch, also known as Blandly Sinister, Attorney General Blandly Sinister, who as the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of New York oversaw the beginning of the federal inquiry before her appointment to Washington, has been considering for months how to proceed. In other words, they couldn't get anything in these cops, so they replaced the investigators. They threw the investigators off because the Justice Department wants its hands, the federal government wants its hands on every police department in the country so they can keep them from enforcing the law. So what will happen is what's happening in Seattle now where crime rates are skyrocketing. And who gets hurt by that? We all know. You know, it's it's the people in the poor communities who get hurt by it. But the the federal government gets to virtue signal and say how virtuous we are that we're keeping the government from arresting black people. That's That's basically what it comes down to. And this, by the way, from the Justice Department, that same wonderful Justice Department, and here's a case that Trump, in his inarticulate way, keeps bringing up, but it really should get a lot more attention. The Justice Department has determined to convict retired General James Cartwright, former vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They convicted him of a felony for lying to the FBI. The general told a federal court last week he regretted he didn't tell the bureau the truth about conversations he'd had with reporters about a secret cyber attack disrupting Iran's nuclear program. The general says he confirmed details the reporters already had in an effort to prevent them from publishing information that could harm America's national security. He could serve up to five years in prison. So in other words, these reporters came to him and said, is this true? And he told, he confirmed some of the stuff they knew to try and convince them not to reveal other stuff that that he thought they might have. Here's Here's what the U.S. attorney on the case said. People who gain access to classified information after promising not to disclose it must be held accountable when they willfully violate that promise. We conducted a thorough and independent... I'm sorry, but you know, I hope you're laughing too, because it, it, unless that sound may be you weeping, we conducted a thorough and independent investigation, including collecting tens of thousands of documents through subpoenas, search warrants, and document requests, and interviewing scores of current and former government government employees. The evidence showed that General Cartwright disclosed classified information without authorization to two reporters and lied to federal investigators. As a result, he stands convicted of a federal felony offense and faces a potential prison sentence. (laughs) 
That's our Justice Department. So here's my point, all right? Here's my point. We have, we have a party that has lost its way. The Republican Party has lost its way in Donald Trump, but only in Donald Trump. That's not, it's not true in all the other local elections. It's just in the presidency. And unfortunately, because we have this, national, this corrupt national media, the presidency now sucks all the, informa- all the uh, attention out of the room. It sucks all the air out of the room. It gets all the attention. But the party at the top has lost its way. Donald Trump does not represent a conservative agenda. And as, as Ben has been complaining about perfectly reasonably all this time, all the people who are making excuses for Trump are taking the party to the left, essentially. And, and, that, and that is a big, big problem. So on one side, we have a party that has strayed from its principles. On the other side, we have a party that has eaten out of every principle except its own power and corruption. When you have a, a, um, a party that is willing to overtake the Justice Department, to fire investigators because they don't get the left-wing result that they want, and replace them with other investigators, can you imagine what the coverage of that would have been if George W. Bush had done it? Can you imagine what the coverage would have been if he had said, well, I'm not getting the conviction I want, so I'm replacing those investigators with other investigators? I mean, amazing. Plus, plus, they convict this this general, this four-star general who was on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they, they convict him of exposing classified information in a very dubious, you know, in a way that he might have been justified in doing. But Hillary Clinton skates because she, she the guy, the general should have run for president. He should have run for president. Then, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how you get up above the corruption because the guys at the top, I mean, this is a party that has totally, totally become a criminal enterprise. And my friend Michael Walsh is always saying it's not a political party. It's a criminal enterprise. Michael is, Walsh, he's right. He's right. It's a criminal enterprise. So yesterday I was talking about I was talking about the idea of vision, you know, remember the biblical adage, without vision the people perish. And I was talking about how we on the right have got to start selling our vision, not, you know, somebody, I, I said, we've got to stop opposing things. It's always opposing things. And someone said, well, it's called conservatism, but let me ask you something. What are you trying to conserve? What is there left to conserve at this point? What freedom, have, you know, what do, you, what do we have left? We have some vestiges of the system that our founders put in place, but we don't, we need a revolution now. And it's not going to be, it shouldn't obviously be a violent revolution. I don't think we need that. The people who keep tweeting me and saying, don't you realize this is a war? The way I can tell it's not a war is because no one's shooting at me. It's not a war. It's an election. This is an election. You can tell the difference because it's not that loud, you know? It's like the bullets aren't whizzing by your face and you don't have to pull your buddy with his legs blown off. You know, that's, that's a war. This is not a war. This is an election. But we are fighting for something, and we're fighting for it on every level. And all these people who voted for Trump saying Republicans, conservatism loses and loses and loses, they were all wrong. Conservatism was winning across the country. It was winning in state houses. It was winning in state assemblies and Senates. It was winning in the Congress. We had both houses, which we now may lose because of Donald Trump. So let me show you something of my friends at Madison McQueen made. Madison McQueen has been just a really innovative uh, creator of political messaging in really throughout the primaries. They did a lot of Ted Cruz's stuff, that uh, that one of the lawyers coming across the border. They're now doing some work for something called modernstatesman.com, www.modernstatesman.com, which is a, con- uh, a conglomeration of like six or seven right-wing candidates that they are selling as the modern statesman. So they come out and they made, Madison McQueen made them an ad saying what they stand for. Take a look at this ad because this is the way it's done. This is how you sell a message. Do we have it? Oh, no, we don't have it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Maybe, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, can I, if I send it to you, can we get it on? No. No, too late. All right. I'll, all right, I'll bring it in tomorrow. tomorrow it, yeah. 
Yeah, sorry about that. It is a it is a terrific ad that basically reminds us that it reminds us that it's not over with this election. Okay, when people say this, if, if Hillary wins, it's over. If Hillary wins, it's over. What do you think is over? Is the fight for freedom over? Is the fight for freedom over if Trump wins or Hillary wins or the government goes bad? That's what you're here for. You're here to fight for freedom. You are an American generation given the same assignment as every other American generation to fight to keep freedom alive. When you lose, that just means you keep fighting in a a rear guard action. That's the only thing you have to do. And you have to do it at every level. You have to do it at the presidential level and you have to do it at the local level and you have to keep doing it forever. <laughs> so that you so you know why? So your kids can do it. That's why. That's why. That is what you that's your assignment. So it's not over. It ain't a war and it's not over. That's the thing. And if we don't start selling this message in a positive way, we will lose. We'll continue to lose as we as we've already lost this election. All right. See, I'm sorry. I forgot to send that in. We'll, we will bring it in and play it tomorrow. And tomorrow again, let me remind you, it is the mailbag day and you can ask all your questions. Holly Halloween stuff I like. I keep saying Hollywood stuff I like. There is no Hollywood stuff I like. Halloween stuff stuff I like. So today I wanted to take a look at, yesterday we looked at really old movies that remain scary. And today, I, what's that? Nothing. Oh, so today I want to look at obscure movies that are, that are actually pretty scary. And the problem, I went on, a, I looked at lists of obscure horror movies, and the problem is they're all bad you know, and there are lists of things that are really violent and ugly and have this kind of ugly imagery in it, and that's not, that's not what I like. What I like are ghost stories and stuff that's creepy. So let me give you three obscure movies. Some of them I know I've mentioned before, but one of them I don't think I have. There's one called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. It's 1971, about a woman who gets out of a mental institution, and she and her husband uh, go to, I think, Connecticut. Uh, for her to rest up, and she starts hearing things and seeing things, that she and she's not sure if they're there. Let's play just a scene from this. Jessica. spooky movie and it and it does hold up and that's Zora Lambert an excellent actress uh, in her I think it's her only starring role she was mostly like the you know second third fourth lead and things so that's an obscure movie that's creepy burnt offerings with Oliver Reed and Karen Black if you've never seen that that's my least favorite of these three that I'm mentioning because it doesn't it doesn't really hold together but it has got a couple of really spooky scenes in it and Lake Mungo which is a I think Australian film in the found footage thing that came out and was kind of wiped away by paranormal activity. Also a great found footage movie. But Lake Mungo, if you've never seen it, is really spooky. And stay for the credits because the credits are excellent. Uh, really sorry that I forgot to send in that uh, ad, but but you can find it. You can see it at uh, www.modernstatesman.com or go on YouTube and search for it and find it. And I will I will bring it in and play it tomorrow. Um, so Shapiro is gone today again. So Shapiro, he's, you know, I think this is another Jewish holiday. I think this is the day they celebrate uh, where they secretly took over the international banks. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's just, a, it's just a small, modest ceremony where they sacrifice a, a Christian child to make their mazah. I, I shouldn't make these jokes because I know, I know there are people in the audience going, I knew it. 
<laughs> but I'll be back tomorrow. So will I. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Send in your questions, and we'll answer them all tomorrow. <laughs>